0: Hey, this is Paula Glover. Welcome to today's episode of Always Bet on Black. Today I'm talking to Frank Reynolds, president of UIL Holdings, where he has responsibility for United Illuminating, Connecticut Natural Gas, Southern Connecticut Gas and Berkshire Gas. Frank has also held leadership positions at Iberdrola and Avant Grid. He is a retired major from the Connecticut National Guard and a really good friend. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Always Bet on Black. Um, today, I have with me Frank Reynolds. Um, we have been friends for more than 25 years. Amazing. Nice. That's amazing. Yes, yes. Um, and so there's commonly a lot to talk about. So we'll start a little bit from the beginning, um, yeah. Frank. And I wondered if you could just tell people kind of a little bit about you, where you're from, where did you grow up, that sort of thing.
1: Sure. Um, so- I guess at some point when we get to when I have my first child, I can tell people that you were one of the first people I called.
0: Yes, absolutely. But, uh,
1: so you know, I am I'm, I'm I am a Jamaican. Many people would say I'm a Jamaican because I've been here most of my life and you can't hear the accent. But every so often when I try and turn it on, it comes on. It's a little odd the patois, but you uh-huh. can tell, you know, there's some roots there.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: so but I you know, I we we emigrated here, so I'm an immigrant, right? We emigrated from Jamaica when I was very young, um, when I was about four years old, and uh, we, we moved to Connecticut, you know, the Hartford, Connecticut area, and um, unfortunately, you know, very early in my life, about a year or so after we got here, my mom passed away, mm-hmm. and, you know, when we explore this conversation, I'll tell you um, that, you know, although I had a short time with her, with my memory of the time with her is just so explicit and so influential, I guess, on, on just my spirit, yes. quite frankly. Um, in fact, again, when we when we get there, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how I, I stumbled across the place where we lived when she passed away one night when I was in high school. It was okay. just yeah, it was kind of an amazing experience. So but I grew up in in the Bloomfield, Connecticut area. And you know it was a great experience um, because Bloomfield, what I had come to learn, was one of these towns by design that was meant to be diverse. It was a test town, I, I guess. You know, I have been done oh, yeah. a lot of research on this, but so my classmates, you know, pretty much from my elementary school years right through to high school were of a very diverse background. You know, it was, let's just say it was fifty percent white, fifty percent black, but there was Latinos in there, uh, you know, Hispanic folks, a um, little bit of Middle Eastern. So it was it was relatively diverse for a suburb. I mean, sure. you know, and um, just a great experience, uh, you know, throughout throughout my high school years. Um, and you know, early in my career, also, I, I you know, I joined the National Guard when i was in high school because i got to this juncture where you know i realized that i needed to figure out what i was going to do with my life um and so uh i decided to join the army national guard and uh, from there you know my, my career in terms of leadership really took off uh believe it or not you know it doesn't show right now so when i joined the national guard i had long hair right this was uh, in the, the Michael Jackson days. Like he was around and, and very popular.
0: So you're saying you had a Jerry curl? Okay. Are you saying that? Something. Are you saying that you had a Jerry Something. curl? Something. I had a Jerry curl. I'll admit I was all about the classy curl. Something. Okay. So Just go ahead and say it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, Well, here we go. So I show up to basic training 17 years old with with it all going on and the drill sergeant comes over to me and says ain't gonna be no Michael Jacksons in my platoon you're a squad leader <laughs> <laughs> so on day one here I am with you know hundreds of kids from across the country and he put me in the hot seat he made me a squad leader and bear in mind I never had really? a formal leadership role uh in my high you know I wasn't like our good friend Barrett I wasn't on the Student council or anything like that. I was your normal kid, just having a good time in high school, right? So here I am, day one. He puts me in the hot seat, and I've got basically 15 kids from across the country—urban, suburban, country—you know, Boston, Arkansas, all over—white, black, Hispanic—that I'm in charge of. And um, just to make a, a, you know, kind of an eight-week story very short. Um, eight weeks later, four people that were assigned as squad leader from day one. I was the only one that survived and graduated as a squad leader uh, at the end of the course, which I think was just a testament to some of the natural leadership skills that started to come out during basic training. For me. So, yeah,
0: yeah. When we talk, when I talk with Barrett, um, one of the things that he said is um, and it was a great takeaway even to me was, you know, sometimes people recognize things in you that you don't know are there, and that you have to trust that what they recognize in you is actually a real thing that they are accurate. And I might think suggest that perhaps whatever it was that you brought with you with your Jerry curl and whatnot, um, he saw something. He saw something in you that said, you know what, this this kid right here there's something here and let me see what that's gonna grow to be in the next eight weeks. Would that be correct, you think? So, well, I
1: might I, I might think that particular disposition that Barrett had shared might be a little bit more appropriate a little bit later in my career. And, you know, there, okay. I think he was just, he was put me in the hot seat to burn me out. The other three dudes got fired and recycled. And I, you know, I was able to work with people's strengths, quite frankly. And that's what I recognize if I reflect on it. I learned how to use each person's strengths, the guys from the country, the guys from the city, without, and be right there alongside with them um, um, without necessarily you know taking that leadership role and making them feel like they were beneath me. I was right there leading right alongside of them. As we say, right, sometimes you get in front, sometimes you're right next to them, sometimes you're behind them, sharing them on. But to Bear's point, I would say you know when I joined Southern Connecticut Gas as a project engineer, Um, And, you know, within a couple of years, I was the assistant to the chairman, as you might recall, when Mr. Crespo was there, he saw something that I didn't, yeah, I'm first generation, again, coming from Jamaica, first generation college graduate. And so I didn't have anyone saying, okay, this is what you need to do when you start in corporate America and all that type of knowledge that others that uh, are, are a bit more privileged might have that we don't necessarily have right as first generation grads and get into there but somehow uh you know the chairman at the time of southern Connecticut gas company saw something in me, and i was um basically you know three years i'll say into my career at that time and he made me his assistant now uh, bear in mind the per there was only one other person uh, that had had that role uh, and this was someone who was 15, 20 years into their career at the mm-hmm. time. This was a director in the company, and this, this assistant role was basically referred to as an executive internship. Sure. And then, sure. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't, you know, I'm just this young, 20-something-year-old kid, assistant to the chairman. I was assistant to the chairman and director of business development, <laughs> which meant I was working on our mergers and acquisitions, which eventually formed everybody. Um, and I got to see all of that. So he saw something in me that I didn't realize existed in myself at that time. And um, that really followed, his shaped my career to where I am today. Right now, you know.
0: So let's go back. We're going to take yeah. one quick step back, I think. So yeah, you, you're sure. in the service, you, yep. you know, you get through basic training, but you um, and I did not know this. I knew you, you know, had retired as a major. I didn't know that you spent your entire career in the National Guard. Correct. Mm-hmm, right. Um, what made you? And then you go to school. Southern Connecticut. Is that where you went? Southern Connecticut State University. You know, uh, Central, Central Connecticut.
1: Central State, yeah. Connecticut. Yeah.
0: Which is in? Is that New Britain or Wallingford? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. New Britain. Yeah. Okay. Um, tell me about that. You go to Central. How do you end up at Southern Connecticut in the first place? How does that happen?
1: Oh gosh. So you know, Connecticut, as you might recall, was a heavily manufacturing state. Yes. You know, at the time, United Technologies was the largest employer in the state. And like many Central grads and other grads, I you know I was had a technical degree. Um, I was working. I did a few internships at United Technologies in their manufacturing engineering department and a couple other areas. Um, and so when I graduated from college, I actually was working at United Technologies Research Center. Um, and basically what the research center did was it was an incubator for spin-offs for businesses that okay. United Technologies was developing. And so they developed this company called United Technologies photonics And believe it or not, so this again, you know, early 90s was um, a company that was Uh, making what we call frequency modulator chips that were going to be used in interactive TV. So well before, you know, the days of Netflix and all these other streaming services, but this was the lithium niobate chip that was going to send all that information on demand over hundreds of miles instantaneously. So I was working there. Um, I I only lasted there for about 18 months or so. Um, Great lesson in terms of what I learned there. but you know, so I went into the manufacturing sector, and from there, uh, here I am, relatively new grad, unemployed. Um, there was a researcher, a PhD a researcher, there at this research center that, again, saw me, must have saw something in me, had a side business, and said, "Hey, come work for us. We'll be good. You'll we'll actually make more than you're making here." And so I went and did that. It was interesting because it was a startup business. We, I I only stayed here for a little while because I've, you know, all that, you know, I need a little bit more certainty in life. So this company calls on me, this other manufacturing company called on me and I went in to this company as a process engineer. And this company is in Berlin, Connecticut, not too far from NU's headquarters um, or Eversource's headquarters now. And so I worked at this company for a year, but I went in as a process engineer. I did some things, very simple things. And they made me general foreman of the entire organization, entire plant. Um, It was a very tough job though. I mean, it was six days a week, 12 hour shifts, rotating shifts. So one week I was working, again, mid 20s, seven in the morning till seven at night, Monday through Saturday. The following week I was working seven at night, till seven in the morning, Monday through Saturday. Oh. Very tough, very tough. So, but I, you know, we, I did some great things. It was really interesting in that, uh, well, I shouldn't say I, uh, right? We did some great things. It's really interesting that the workforce there was Hispanic and Polish and neither of them spoke each other's language and neither of them really spoke English. So a lot of um, their communication was hand and arm signals which of course I you know, I learned a lot about the military. But you know, they had some different types of hand and arm signals, which I won't share on the podcast. Here. <laughs> <I don't> think <laughs> you want to go there. But you know, I went in there and I talked to them. Uh, as much as they understood English, I, I talked to them a bit about the fact that they were professionals and each of them what they did in terms of um, developing the product that we were delivering for high-end homes. Um, you know. Was crucial in, in order to you know develop a high quality, uh, flawless product out the door, and I spent fifteen dollars, call it fifteen dollars, on these little uh, dry erase boards that immediately. And and what I would what I use these dry erase boards you can kind of picture this plant with these large presses, and I kind of put up like this information system on these different plants. Um, or presses uh, using these dry erase boards. And so each job that we ran, I would put down, you know, the run rate of the job, the scrap, how many billets we were supposed to use. This was aluminum extrusion, by the way, as we were going. Um, and it was just amazing that after we ran each job, the crew was relatively spread out throughout the facility. So after we ran each job, people would come over to the board and look at how we did and posted there immediately would be the feedback and you could see them shaking their heads and just the pride that they had. And, you know, we brought our scrap rate down like 50%. The production went through the roof. Um, They sent me, you know, the company sent me down in North Carolina to institute the same methodology um, at one of the plants down there. They had all kinds of people coming up and 15 months is all I spent. And I spent a little time talking to these people about the value they were adding. And, um, you know, I guess the rest is history. Uh, as I said, very difficult job, a lot of success um, and they were paying me well at the same time. Uh, and then along comes a, a, a friend of mine that says, hey, you know, this gas company is recruiting engineers. We um, were looking for diverse engineers and." you know, would you be interested? I'm like, yeah, that's a, a utility. I mean, that's, you know, no offense to anybody who works for the state, but you know, that's one step away from, you know, working at the DMV or something, and this is before the, that's before the DMV, well, you know, the DMV back in the day, nobody wanted to go there.
0: Right, so it's not quite a government job, but. Yeah,
1: it was like, you know, they could care less, they're going to move slow, when they get to you, they get to you, and if you're there and the, they close, well come back to you, you know, it's just so you know, I didn't return their call for a good month, and then you know they called again, and um, you know I finally went in, and 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 you know, a lot of things were going on at that time. I realized you know I didn't want to be an engineer's engineer. You know I didn't want to design the next rocket ship, or you know when I was working with United Technology working on fan blades for engines and things like that. I, you know I didn't want to do that. I recognized again. Kind of combining that technical skill set that I learned down at at Central, Um, and you know the leadership skills that I was gaining through the military, which you know by far you know ahead of my peers, right? None of my peers were getting exposed to people across the country, different ages, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I was, you know, all of that coming together, and I thought, okay, well, let me go check this thing out. And, uh, you know, as I said, we were recruiting for project engineers is what they called it. But really what the chairman of the company at the time was, you know, basically what he called was the future leaders of the company. You know, in his mind, I want some engineers to come in here learn about the company and then, you know, in the future, lead the company. So I rotated for two years. I went through different departments and it was, you know, extremely educational extremely educational but one of the things i learned on that journey really was the amount of people that i met and the relationships that i was i formed and the resources that i formed or was able to put into my little toolbox so that i could reach out to Uh, not necessarily because i didn't have the answer but so i could get the answer from somebody who did um, the experts and it was really surprising to me because as you recall you know southern was a pretty relatively small company of four or 500 employees and two locations that were all of, I don't know, 10 miles apart. And I I knew people in both locations where, you know, people that worked in one location and the other really didn't know people in either location, if if you understand that. Yeah. But so it was amazing that, you know, just the relationships that I gathered in that short period of time, two years, you know, exceeded some. Other relationships that people have been there in their entire career, just yeah. work in one facility. Yeah. Um, so I said a lot there. <laughs> I you'd pause and make yeah. sure that I'm on the right topic still.
0: Yeah. No, you are. But I think you know, I you you said at the beginning that you know um, when you first went into um, the National Guard and showed up at basic training, um, the pl- platoon leader um, kind of made you a squadron leader, maybe just to see if he could wish you know if you would fall out to see how.
1: Yeah, so he right. was he was the drill sergeant.
0: Drill sergeant. <laughs> but I I might suggest that yeah. um there was something else there with you, right? Through your experience at UTC. I have been saying it. No, no, no. But you know, sometimes the sick I am some of the, sometimes it's it's the ability to understand that it is a simple solution that gets the most out of people. So when you talked about your experience, um, you said, you know, as a leader, sometimes you're in front of people, you're beside, besides people, you're behind them, you're trying to figure out, right, pull their strengths out of them to make them better. Um, and maybe it was very intuitive, but you go into this new role, um, this this big plant, and, and, and you said you have, you know, half of the employee base is Polish, half is um, Hispanic. And for whatever reason, it occurred to you, let me have a whiteboard to let people know how they're doing as a motivating factor. And perhaps you would not have articulated it that way then, but certainly that's actually what you did. And so I might suggest that there's obviously something in you that even came up with that idea. If you're saying people are coming to see like, how did he motivate people? And, and would you um, emphasize that it cost $15, right? That the solution was cheap. Yeah, I I might emphasize and and what I want to ask you about is but you came up with the solution. Like what made you even think that that was the thing to do that 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 could be a motivating factor.
1: So uh, as I as I talked to you a little bit about my experience early on at United Technologies photonics first job out of college. um, When I went there, I was looking for what I call textbook solutions. I, I, you know, I didn't have that transition from co- college to workspace. You know, again, they didn't have those type of programs around like they do today. And so I just, you know, in terms of preparation, it was like, okay, I got my first job. It's a job. It was the best commute ever because it was, you know, two miles from home. And um, I was, you know, faced, forced with, you know, trying to develop this system for these lithium chips, and I was looking for textbook responses, textbook answers. And there was no textbook scenario, if you will, for this particular situation. Um, so I'll pause there for a second. And, and then I recall, you know, in the military, I was off doing some training. And one day I had this so called epiphany, where uh, we had, you know, again, we had a challenge. And I was, uh, I can almost remember it to the day I was going across this break field and I had this idea, you know, I just had this idea of doing something that was, you know, within military confines, but just different. And I shared it with my commander and he was like, yeah, that's a great idea and we did it and it was a big hit. And that really got me going with, you know what, these companies, they want your ideas bring your ideas to folks and that's the little nugget that's going to get you and so ever since then you know uh, ever since then you know um after i graduated from officers i went to officer candidate school um after so i went to basic training as i said a successful squad leader i then went to my advanced training i was the honor graduate of the advanced individual training and i went back to my Unit, and, um, and I'm sorry for bouncing around here because That's it wasn't, but, okay. but it's important because I went back to my unit and I had all these great ideas. And I'm like, you know, again, I'm 19 years old at this time, I think, and and um, my sergeant, we had this exchange, and my sergeant, uh, who was this older white guy, says to me, you know, you know, you're not paid to think, and he gave me a broom, and here I was. Honor graduate, ready to do great things. And I was like, oh, it really yeah, set me, yeah, really me back. Really set me back. You know, so um, my response to that was, you know, I went to Officer Canada School. Uh, and and 18 months later, I was his boss. And I handled it. But uh, my point is, uh, you know, so going back to where I was in, in terms of the topic i realized that ideas is what uh, not only the military wanted and needed but so was corporate america they wanted ideas so that's where the idea around creating the visual workspace at the manufacturing company Mm -hmm. came from and subsequent ideas when i joined um, southern connecticut gas i think that's probably what got me recognized by the chairman of the company at the time was you know i brought in from the manufacturing sector which was very service oriented total quality management management kaizen a lot of the peter drucker um, type philosophies were really drilled into us at united you know, technologies and so i brought in some of that service quality if you will into the service sector which you know really was just at that time i think really trying to focus on customers yeah. and you know the quality of transactions with customers and so i implemented i remember one of the early things i implemented was a customer satisfaction survey you know tell us how we did when we came to your house and installed the gas line you know did we restore it appropriately did we leave your lawn a mess did we ruin your driveway did we call you on time did we do it when we said we were? whatever and we put a little incentive out there because recall back in the day we were still in the appliance um business so as an incentive to get the response rate up, we you know we we auctioned off or something to that effect, um, like gas grills or something like that. So we had a great response rate, and we got great feedback. And it eventually, I think, really led its way into uh, some of our KPIs that the DPU started tracking us, like, you know, a little bit later. So it was, again, a simple idea that turned into something a lot more formal, a lot more uh, impactful on the business. But, um, you know, it, I, I guess it started you know, when I was running across that parade field, and the epiphany kind of happened.
0: So I want to delve deeper into this idea of being paid to think. And now I, w- I will share with you, my, my dad retired from the Army as a sergeant. And all of my nine brothers and sisters will tell you that the one thing he said to all of us is, ain't nobody paying you to think. I hear it all the time as kids. Ain't nobody paying you to think. And I actually thought that it was something he came up with until you just shared this story. And now I know where he got it from. Okay. Um and I can remember the day that I said to my father, Daddy, somebody is paying me to think. And it caught him off guard, but he was really proud.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so tell me about that idea of paying people to think because I think, you know, sometimes, and you're not the only one I've heard, I've heard um executive very early in my career, say, um, no, I, 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 he, this particular executive was giving um, employees um, tuition reimbursement, no matter what their major was. And his reasoning for that was that college paid college taught you how to think. And he said, you know, I can teach you to do anything, but I can't teach you how to think. Um, And so, you know, that's what education does, education will help you think. So as a leader, Tell me, like, how do you think about that with, you know, the people that you're leading now and this idea of really paying people to think?
1: Yeah, so, you know, as I explained, I'm from very humble beginnings, and, you know, I didn't go to an Ivy League school, and I didn't go to one of these top tier universities, and, um, you yeah, know, so one of the, so that shapes me quite a bit. one of the things that I attempt to do is, have people recognize that, you know, you can be way more successful than me, right? I try to build that level of confidence in people um, so that they recognize, again, as I said, I'm just right here next to you. You know, I'm different than you, so-called put my pants on the same way. But I really try to have people understand that they uh, possess the ability, right, to be extremely successful. And that comes with confidence. And and so I try to create a culture where um, you know, I don't I don't want people to fail and have something detrimental occur, right? But I, I want people to feel extremely comfortable and you know those ideas, and I don't want them to be, you know, I used to hear this person used to tell me, you know, I want to this head hunter used to try and recruit me. I want to bring you someplace where you can turn and place upside down and all this nonsense. I want incremental gains, incremental benefits, just little tweaks, yeah. right? We're not starting from scratch. I mean, I want those little $15 investments that make a significant difference. Uh, and so, if, and when we talk about paying people to think, it's about, you know, again, creating, to me, creating that culture where people are extremely comfortable and experimenting where necessary. Um, But coming up with ideas, uh, you know, to solve some of the challenges that we face and trying to anticipate, you know, some of those areas that we might need to explore look for those incremental benefits that can improve, whether it's safety or operational efficiency, certainly customer satisfaction, um, environmental stewardship, diversity, wherever it might be, just having the confidence uh, to know that you can do that. I used to tell and ask. My people, right? You know, go teach somebody to do something that you yourself can't do. And I remember the first time I said that to somebody. Huh? Like, for instance, if you don't know how to ride a bike, teach somebody how to ride a bike. How do you do that? Well, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's uh, it sounds simple, but it is, my right? quite straightforward. Well, I mean, what's okay, well, go we'll get them a class, right? Sign them up for a class on how to ride a bike. I'm not saying that you physics teach me. But teach them to do something that you, yourself can't do, right? And that, to me, is extremely empowering. As a leader, when you, right, I'm not a, I took over, you know, some areas of our electric business some years ago. I'm not a planning engineer, so I have of the imagination in terms of planning our transmission system. But we were able to make our tra- our planning engineers better, right? We were able to give them the confidence to go out and, and do some pretty amazing things on our system um, you know, to increase reliability and uh, you know, in that sense, customer satisfaction, lower costs, et cetera.
0: So, so by extension, does that mean that as a leader, you want to surround yourself with people who may be better than you? Or do you feel like you, know, you want to make sure um, you, know, you know as much as those you lead or more?
1: Yeah, I right. like to feel like I'm making the room smarter. Not, not necessarily that I'm the smartest person in the room, but I'm hoping that I'm connecting the people that need to be connected in those challenges that we face to come up with the appropriate solutions to, again, lead us to where it is that we need to, to get to. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I want smart people around me um i don't mind if they're smarter than me most of the time they are right that's all good <laughs> <You know? laughs> i'm comfortable with that though
0: yeah yeah i love being around people who are smarter than me to be yeah honest.
1: i'm involved by learning that's why i talk to you so much
0: <laughs> you might want to change company just a tad if that's the goal expand <laughs> so you're now at southern um, connecticut gas um, and you're, you know, the assistant to the CEO, Mr. Crespo, who I remember um, fondly. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 you really, I think, have a pretty tremendous career while you're at Southern Connecticut Gas, a lot of opportunity to move and do some new things, um, which, you know, may seem unusual to folks because it was, right, as you first described, the utility company, the gas company. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if you would talk a little bit about like that, you know, and how that must have been very different than what you expected.
1: Yeah, it was it was quite amazing. As we all know, the folks, you know, that work inside of these utilities, it's, it's their challenges abound, right? There's many challenges for us, particularly today with, you know, the policy goals that are out there in each state and, and what have you. But back then, um, I got exposure, I was able to get exposure to so many different things, uh, I, again, at a young age and, and just so early in my career, and, you know, here I was uh, presenting to our board of directors, you know, uh, which had, you know, some, some pretty esteemed individuals uh, on, on the board at the time, As again, as I learned after, after the fact. Uh, and, And so things like that, um, being able to do that, you know, again, exposure to the board and senior level management and still being able to do different projects, which gave me a lot of satisfaction. So let me, it just reminded me of something that happened at that point too, um, which makes me appreciate um, having that exposure so early in my career. So prior to that, Paula, you know, I was, responsible for a lot of operations areas. And every day you could see what you did. It was so much satisfaction because I could say, you know, we ran a thousand miles of Maine or whatever the number was, you know, um, and to put in so many services, but you could see each day. And then when I, you know, started working for Mr. Crespo there, it was more strategic. So, you know, there wasn't that same daily satisfaction, right? We were looking years out, if you will, at, you know, Mergers, acquisitions, or just long-term business opportunities, and so it was really good to have that early in my career. Because as I started moving up through um, the chain and the, the the chain of the organization, uh, as an executive, that becomes less right because you have more of a strategic view. Each day, you start wondering, okay, what's, what, what's the value that I added today? It's harder to see. Right. I mean, it's harder to see, but, you know, I, I recognize that, you know, again, from that very early lesson on with Mr. Prescott there, that um, that's, that's how it is at this stage. You, you, you put in longer term views and, you know, making sure that, um, you know, you continue to engage employees, for those longer term views and making sure that they're at everyday wins that keep them going. is really important.
0: And do you find satisfaction in that? Is it satisfying?
1: Yeah. yeah no, I, you know, I, again, I feel great satisfaction in going back to what I mentioned about just, you know, helping people become confident. When I see people that, you know, go from, you know, not necessarily thinking that they can do much or do anything at a particular juncture to really, uh, whether it's leading large projects or just accomplishing, um, you know, significant tasks that they didn't feel that like they could do. That's just extremely rewarding. To me, and you know, I've had um, a lot of, a lot of, you know, military situations like that, and situations within you know, the uh, public utility like that, uh, which is extremely rewarding. It's just very rewarding.
0: So who instilled the confidence in you? Where did that come from? Is that something you developed? Is that something that you think you just always kind of have that level of, and not just confidence and self-assuredness?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a struggle, right? Quite frankly, right? So I I think it's evolved. I mean, you've known me a long time and, you know, um, I think it's been through assignments. And so I, at, at one point in my career, because nobody really said why, but at a point in my career, I started, you know, I would always ask, why the heck do I keep getting put into these areas that I know nothing about? You know, I didn't think it was fair. You know? <laughs> it's like, what? You know, go run the meter reading area and, okay, take over environmental. Okay, we need somebody in safety or you know, go run this operations thing. It's, it's not fair. I, I know nothing about it. You know, why Why me? But then you realize, you, you know, it's those, those, those common, those skills that you can take with you, those transferable skills that you can take to you, take with you to each of those assignments, which is, you know, particularly around leadership, which is why you keep getting those type of assignments. So that, you know, that absolutely is extremely satisfying to, to, to be able to, to, you know, continue to add value uh, in that sense. Um, and that's where, the confidence right, so I, I share this story every so often so up until 2012 or so, you know my career was if I had to kind of get a bandwidth if you will, I was pretty much you know operations operations support. Um, type roles, and then I get this tap on the shoulder by CEO up in New York, who you also know and he asked me to take over our what we call asset management business, which was, you know, electric transmission systems, uh, electric distribution systems, substations, electric substations, um, all electric, you know, things that I barely had, I really had no exposure to.
0: Because at this point, you're still just focused on gas.
1: Yeah, yeah, prior to that, I was, you know, primarily gas. I mean, my my purview was not just gas. At that point, I I did have responsibility because um and parts of our electric business but it was more from a support role. you know it wasn't leading any particular function within electric and this was going to be leading and that again I, so i go into this thing and I, I i tell people this story once in a while because the day that i got asked to do this i remember i went home i was just you know, my mind was going a mile a minute and i was I had to go out that night for something. I had to go get gas or something. And again, my mind's going, mom, man. started to reverse out of my garage and realized I hadn't opened the garage door. <laughs> if it hadn't been for the brake lights, I would have been buying a new garage door. And I realized at that moment, I need to get my head in will yeah. I need to, it'll, it'll be all right, right? So um, I, I quickly recognized again, okay, it's the leadership, right? It ain't, well, you need to be the super electric planner, the transmission planner, the substation maintenance guy, the vegetation guy. And that assignment was both challenging and extremely rewarding because that team that we assembled just, you know, accomplished some phenomenal things. I mean, you know, to this day, in fact, just this morning, I got a, a, a note from one of the folks on the team because we've got some professional development coming up and we're going to be in this course together. And uh, they kidded me in terms of how they're going to um, include me in their storyline and the time I spent in this particular group. They know that I have a weakness for Doritos, so they're going to include that. stuff. So <laughs> we can <laughs> cut that out.
0: <laughs> but was, so that, that's the secret sauce that's what, is the that's what,
1: builds, that's what builds the confidence is, I think taking on some of those challenging stretch assignments. Mm-hmm. and um, so again certainly as a leader, that's when I, I, I think for me it just said, okay, I, you know here's the toolbox that you can go to for uh, whatever the challenge might be.
0: Yeah
1: uh, yeah it's it very rewarding.
0: So talk to me a little bit about these skills you, you mentioned, like you recognize right when when you were being given these assignments and you felt like kind of who did I make mad, why am I getting dumped on with all these different things. But that there was a set of skills right at some point you realize there's a set of skills that i'm carrying with me from assignment to assignment. That's making you successful, which is why you're getting these other opportunities talk a little bit about what those skills are.
1: So. You know me um, quite well. And I think part of it is just it's like so it's just a natural inborn skill. It's not it's just innate in terms of uh, just my demeanor. So let's start there because I'm I remember when I took over that group and I had a kind of a session. This is who I am and chatting and blah, blah, blah. And employee came up to me afterwards. And, you know, that was different. That's, you know, so essentially, and and we got to talking a little bit, but they were used to, you know, the, say, the tight lipped, if you will, executive that just, you know, this is me and I went to so and so and I like things done on time and what have you. And I'm just not that, right? I'm just a little bit more humble and this is me. Yeah. (laughs) So so I think I'm, but the, the part of that is it's disarming. So I'm extremely approachable. People bring things to me. And in turn, we work on those challenges, right, together that instills that confidence, right? Not only in me, right, because I'm listening and reacting and helping them through the challenge, but in themselves because mm-hmm. they, right, if you, who's got the monkey, right, we, we've all read that. We make sure that they, they don't leave the monkey with me. They take the monkey with them and it'll solve the problem. Right, i a Harvard <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful thing. And that's, <laughs> so, um, I, so that's certainly one of the skills, I think, is, is certainly making sure that uh, just the naturally that people see me as being very approachable. But then I think people realize and recognize, as I just mentioned this email I got this morning, um, and it's tough, right? It's, how do you maintain these relationships, right? I've led hundreds of people across the organization and I've, I do form quite a relationship, if you will, as you might imagine with these groups. I mean, it is, I won't say it's personal, if you will, but it's, it's a, it's, there's a bond there that we develop through um, the exercises we go through. And um, so maintaining those relationships, of course, it can be quite challenging but you know i attempt to i attempt to from time to time reach out but so i also think you know not being genuine is, is key right so that people see that all right you, you, and i didn't just form that relationship to get what i needed out of them to make me successful but we're still maintaining a relationship um maybe not as often as we used to talk and interact but it was, you know, it's nice to get that note this morning from, from former employee from when it's going back seven years now. Or something like that. Um, so I think that's another skill that I might bring there. It's just, you know, being disarming, just being genuine and, and and truly, as I said to you, looking and and hoping and helping people to be more successful, setting them up right. If they want to be more successful than me, I'm more than happy, more than happy to help you. Here's what I did. Um, You know, it's not like you can just replay the same playbook, but here's what I did. Here's what helped me. Here's what I recommend. You consider. So I, I try to make it also a lot of times people wonder, you know, what's going on in the room, right? The board meeting or what's going on in the executive meeting. And I like to share that information as much as I can with them. Just so, so they realize, again, we're not lying there. Some things that they themselves couldn't do.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Why it doesn't have to be that secretive. Like it's not some secret society here. If we really want people to be successful and aspire for those roles and be successful when they get there, why don't we tell them this? Thing? Yeah. in the door, you know, so they can prepare themselves for that.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, that transparency, you know, is really important. To people. So this is a really great segue. Um, let's talk a little bit more about relationships, mentorship, um, you know, sponsorship, if you want to talk about that as well. Um, but just the importance of relationships. And because you know me, well, you know, I'm all about relationships. I that's kind of my thing. Um, but let's talk about mentorship first. And so tell me um, if you have any mentors. Um, and if those were formalized mentor relationships where you went to someone and said hey would you be my mentor or was it a relationship that became a mentorship in time
1: yeah so um, i would say early on as you kind of got at the beginning you know there were informal mentors i mean chuck gooley god rest his soul um, was certainly an informal mentor and what was great about chuck as well as some of these other mentors early on, is you know you knew the good ones because you could, and we've had this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. You pick up the phone, call, and they call back, yeah. and you know here again, project engineer calling the CEO of a company, and wow, the CEO called me back, you know yeah. that that's awesome, right? Yeah. To get advice, um, help you navigate an issue, um, and it was true to their word, right? Offered to be their assistance and came through came through and delivered uh, you know when you make the call so I think certainly early on as I think um, about my career I just had those really kind of informal mentors certainly you know there's some women along the way when I was in my vocational program um, that that helped me navigate some of the, um, the challenges uh, again very informally, but later on, I would say more, you know, when I became, uh, you know, in the executive role, it's been more somewhat more formal, more pointed or deliberate. And, you know, uh, as you know, I had the great opportunity um, really uh, some, maybe a decade ago now, to work with Kevin Walker. And you know, he was our chief operating officer for a time when, when he came over and purchased Energy East and brought him in which was great. And he brought in, uh, you know, a lot of mentoring into the company. So he, he really accelerated a lot of learning uh, across the company by, simple, again, simple things that he implemented. Um, so I definitely got to recognize Kevin on here in terms of the props uh, uh, yeah. that he was able to bring in and, 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 and do for the company.
0: And let me just take a minute to invite people who are listening that if they haven't heard our podcast with Kevin Walker, they should yeah. do that because we talk a lot about mentorship and, and service because um, that's something yeah. else that you both share.
1: Right, yeah, Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we, you know, we had, we definitely had um, a relationship pretty early on in terms of, you know, recognize the similarities of, of having the military service. and But yeah, he he brought in, the formal and informal mentoring. You know, he brought in coaches, so we had coaches, uh, deliberate mentoring around professional development, and uh, you know, it's extremely helpful. You know, it's extremely helpful. And then, of course, you know, Creswell is still around. Quite frankly, in my life, you know, he started me really on this trajectory in the utility space, and continued to be a friend and mentor. Um, you know. Throughout my 25 year career. Yeah. And then along the way, uh, of course, there's just been, again, more sometimes deliberate, but a lot of informal mentors that have provided guidance. Uh, and in and, and my case, you yeah, they've come from a lot of different parts of the organization. I've had a lot of senior level, if you will, folks that have talked to me but you know, some employees, you know, I I believe in the reverse mentoring, if you will, right? So I've had employees that have given me great advice. I remember early on (laughs) in your laugh, right?
0: Early on,
1: it was like, okay, you know, you gotta, in my mind, you gotta be able to multitask and all this wonderful stuff. And so I'm with this employee and I had my Blackberry, this was back in the day, right? So I had my Blackberry and I'm Looking at the BlackBerry emails and they're talking to me and this, that, and the other. I got this feedback from them. And they're like, no, oh, it's great, but you should move to BlackBerry. You know, it was such simple feedback. Like, you know, pay attention to me.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? I'm talking. To you. And, you know, from that day on, yeah, you know, when I'm talking to an employee, I'm talking to an employee. I'm not multitasking, which we can't do, right? Scientifically, we can't do
0: so we're terrible at it. <laughs> right. We're really just doing oh, one thing and ignoring everything else.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I, I, I believe in the power of mentoring, uh, mentorship. I have had, had a lot of great opportunity. I think, you know, it's a great learning opportunity too. So I've had the opportunity to mentor, as you know, we're part of Hebrew, So I've mentored people over in the UK and in Brazil and it, it, Along every exchange, though, I feel like I'm picking something up along the way too, you know, Um, which I think uh, helps, right? In terms of that discussion, that relationship, it's an exchange, you know, it's an exchange. Uh, It's not, again, I'm right next to you. I'm not above you just because of the physician power, if you will. I'm right here alongside of you, and so let's let's talk, let's talk through the issue and see how I can help. And, and if it does help, then kudos um, give me some great feedback that I got something that works.
0: Yeah. So I'll share with you, as you described, kind of the, the tools that you use in leadership of, you know, your demeanor and being disarming and transparency, et cetera. Um, and you mentioned Chuck Cooley, So for those who are listening, Chuck Gulley, who is um, the president of Yankee Gas, in the 90s, African-American man. Um, and while and he led the co, I worked for Yankee Gas, so he was my leader. Um, there are many things about you, Frank, that remind me of him um, in terms of his demeanor, he was,
1: he was sweet. He
0: was, he like was 40 young. He was, he was 40-some-odd years old. But I will, <laughs> I'll share the story with you. Um, Probably 93, 94 time frame, somewhere in there, Yankee Gas was going through a restructuring where most companies were going through restructuring or reorganization. I think is the word that we used then, and you know it mm-hmm. has multiple things. And so there were going to be layoffs. And he came down to my division um, to share with everyone, you know, what was happening and that there might be layoffs, that there were going to be layoffs, that there was going to be a reduction in the number of employees. And I can remember listening to that conversation and being stunned by the fact that most employees felt bad that he had to bring them that news. They felt worse about the fact that he was in that position of bringing that news than they did about the message that they were going to lose their jobs. That's how much they liked him. And I remember thinking like, did you hear the whole speech? But. I mean, it says a lot about, right, when you are a leader who is transparent and and really um, demonstrates, I think, a, a, a level of vulnerability about here's where we are as an organization. Here are the decisions that we have to make. These are very difficult decisions, but these are the decisions that we have to make for the company, um, that people receive that in lots of ways. And in, at least in this particular case, people were like feeling bad for him. You know, um, and and so I, I I see that in you. That's why I'm sharing the story, um, because I, I see that kind of style um, in 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 you. And so let's let's continue to talk about relationships. So you talk about, you know, you talked a little bit about mentorship. Um, I have a colleague who always talks about the kitchen cabinet. Who are those people? Um, who also surround and support you, who may not necessarily be formal mentors. They may not even necessarily be people who work in your organization. Talk to me about how those other relationships have helped you in um, your leadership or even just in your career very broadly.
1: So, you know, I'm looking at one of them right here, right? I will tell you, it was interesting, right? So as Southern Connecticut Gas, like many other companies went through a bunch of mergers, acquisitions, we went from this 500 person employee company to, you know, we're part of a patrol of 30,000, 40,000 employees around the globe. Wow. And if we were just Southern Connecticut Gas and Joe Crespo was running it, and I I think, um, sorry, I think, yeah, you know the career path is kind of outlined, and here it is, it's pretty straightforward. I could see this so-called yellow brick road, if you will. But, but I remember through all those acquisitions and mergers, as you and I look at from time to time, you. I remember one time you saying to me, you know, you know, well, I, I must have told you what, whatever role I was doing at the time, whatever comfortable society put me in. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to see that they continue to kind of groom you for whatever, you know, higher authority positions within the company. And I like, okay, you know, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't see it, but you, you did, um, and and um, it was uh, it was just extremely encouraging. Yeah, extremely encouraging for me because while I, you know, wasn't sure where my career was going potentially at that time, just that those simple words helped me to continue to remain focused and, you know, continue to attempt to do the types of things that I wanted to do, which continued to build the confidence in my abilities, my leadership skills. And, you know, as as they say, the rest is kind of history in terms of the opportunities that I've had and the things that I've been able to do, um, you know, certainly with this company. So you were certainly one of those folks and, and I've talked to you about, you know, some of the other ones already.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So we, you know, you've moved around and we, we've talked a little bit about mentorship and, and tell me a little bit about sponsorship and if you've seen that kind of in your career. And, and I'm asking you these questions because these are the kinds of questions that I'm asked and oftentimes I don't really have a good answer for them. So yeah. I probably will be stealing your responses as well.
1: It's, um, I'll tell you what, it's critical, right? So they talk mentors, talk sponsor. So I'll go back to Kevin Walker, mentor and sponsor.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, because I became a vice president when Kevin was our chief operating officer. And, you know, he shared with me a conversation I recall this having, which was, you know, when he said something along the lines of, well, you know, if he's that good, why isn't he your vice president?
0: <laughs> Just that simple.
1: If he's that good, why isn't he your vice president? And this is a conversation he must have been having with HR or some other executives or whatever. And, and so I, I think that's where, you know, sponsorship, because you get those are the people that are in the room, so to speak, that can help move the needle. Um, as, as I read, not too long ago, and we know right? this was in the journal, the Wall Street Journal, you know, a lot of those decisions are made before the job is even posted.
0: Absolutely. Right,
1: you know, right, we don't even get a chance necessarily to to do it, put our name in the hat, or when we do put our name in the hat, we just kind of go through the motions, if you will. Well, because there's already a predetermined person, if you will, right? A little nepotism, whatever you want to call it, unfortunately, um, that exists. So, without that sponsorship, like a Kevin or someone else there to uh, to to enlighten people, I would say, and make sure people are um, Demonstrating integrity, mm. All right, and reflecting the values, right. We try and we say we're a full company, and we value this and that and everything else. So, are your actions actually demonstrating those values that we espouse to be as a company, right? You went through the same training that I do in terms of our code of conduct and what have you, and you sign off and you acknowledge that, yep, I have these values that I believe well, your actions should line up with everything Right? So yeah, yeah the sponsorship is um, really important. And, you know, as we think about everything that's gone on, right, this past summer and this past year, it's just been extremely challenging. And we see it's brought a level of awareness, right, to companies around the globe that will stick here in the US. And we see this conservative effort to diversify boards of directors and senior leadership and government right? there's just across the board so hopefully right this is we see some moment, use the opportunity to make sure that that happens and um but yeah you know i think all of those help sponsors sponsors help all of that i just read an article this morning Chairman Walmart and some of the actions that you know he's taken and intends to take, and uh, influencing government really to put policies in place that I think will again help um, to um, you know promote the kind of uh, inclusivity that we we desire. Or at least we we desire, But yes, yeah, sponsorship is important. It's important. It's important.
0: Why is it <laughs> <laughs> just, just that simple? So for those people who are listening who want a sponsor, um, I I certainly know that I have benefited tremendously from sponsors, even though I didn't know they were in my sponsors. It just probably snuck up on me a little bit. But for those of those people out there who are saying, you know what, how do I put myself in a position where someone wants to sponsor me or get noticed or whatever, are there things that people can do or is it just a little bit of luck? Um, And happenstance.
1: No, I think it's, well, maybe it is some of that, but I think at the same time, you can, you know, you can have those conversations. And I guess I would, my approach and recommendation would be somewhat twofold. Either you go the formal route, right? So if your HR department has a program where they're connecting mentors, if you will, uh, and mentees together, you have that. Avenue that you can take,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, or you have the more direct route, right? You can. We all know the, say, the power base or the people within the company that um, we we might want to know or can benefit from knowing. Mm-hmm. And and I think you seek those folks out and you talk to them about it. Now, I will say, when I was in college, I had a friend. They always used to come to me and say, uh, you know, you come to these United Technologies thing, do some networking. Um, uh, we had this guy, like Hansel Tooks, Hansel Tuchs, senior, he, was a, he was the executive, right? So um, he, he wanted me to run Raytheon, Matter of fact, see, uh, but yeah, so I had. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so- <laughs> come meet Hansel and network, and networking just had this really kind of. Bad, word to me, right? Mm Because it's like, I don't want to use anybody to get ahead. And um, so there's just got to be, in my mind, I I don't, I like to be able to help people, right? So the the relationship ought to be more genuine than, you know, hey, you know, let me get on your coattails. Could you do something for me? No, that's just not my Right away. Right. Yeah. That ain't happening. So that would be my only caution is if you're seeking out a sponsor, you know, there should be some type of connection there. It can't, I, I wouldn't necessarily say just seek somebody out that you think can help you get ahead. That yeah. to me just doesn't see through that. And that, that doesn't, there's no value in that, at least in my opinion. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I find networking really uncomfortable if I'm to be yeah. honest, because I'm, I'm actually really shy and yeah. I'm very much of an introvert, so I actually don't like it. Um, and I have found for me that it's more palatable when I go into it trying to figure out who I'm gonna help. That's yeah, actually how I get exactly. through it. Right. Otherwise, I really, I, I am absolutely the person standing in the corner, sipping yeah. on a drink and looking at the door and planning my exit, like yeah. quickly as possible. Wow. Um, nice That's
1: a from Joe Crespo early on. Huh? Did you? <laughs> well, what, cause I used to go to him when I was, you know, his assistant, I'd go to these events with him and he would just, just do this kind of loop. Yeah, he'd show up at 5:30. He'd leave at 5:40. Oh
0: <laughs> wow, he was
1: fast. We may have to cut that out, but everybody would have seen him, right? And right. He recognized he was there. Right? Yeah, I just saw him. <laughs> around the corner. Be home. But I mean, and so as an executive, it was an invaluable small lesson, right? Because you go to a lot of these things. You know, I have two kids and a wife. I like to spend some time with them. Sure. And so, you know, over. Here, being there as much as you can is great, uh, but it, it can't consume your life. I I'm totally believe in the so-called work-life balance, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I always wanted to be in a position too, like you were, to help people. Yeah. Right. Who can I help? And I'm open to helping anybody. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. That's the funnest part. Yeah. So let's talk, you, you started, let's talk a little bit about work-life balance as we end your dad. Two beautiful daughters, a lovely wife. You know, I love your little girls who seem to be growing up way too fast. But what does work life balance look like for you in your role? I mean, we always hear these conversations about work life balance for women. Yeah. As if men don't go through the same thing. So I wonder if you'd share with us what is that for you?
1: Well, you know, I guess I try to make the best use of technology. Right, yeah, I'm not, I'm not at my office today. Actually, I'm taking the day off so to speak, but um, we have dinner, right? Yeah. We have family dinner every night. Uh, you know, it's a rare occasion that we're not at the table together, having dinner together. It's very, very important. You know, either I might be traveling or, you know, kids might have an event, but outside of that, I would tell you 80 plus percent of the time we're sitting down in Every night, and so I'm good with making sure that happens. And if I need to, well, the technology pieces—if I need to get on the iPad or the uh, phone or whatever—I mean, it's pretty it's accessible, right? It's accessible. The information that i might get click on is there, and um, so I, I'm good with getting back on later in the evening, just to make sure that I'm providing responses, feedback, guidance, whatever it might be. Uh, at an hour that doesn't you know necessarily um, impact my family. Uh, and at the same time, I'm very, you know, I'll put emails in like a um, hold or wait to send type of pattern so that I'm not pinging people you know during their time either. I don't want to send, I don't want to send emails to people on Saturdays. I really like, it has to be an emergency for me to do that. Saturdays, holidays, Quite frankly, you know, after a certain hour, if you will, on a Friday, even mm-hmm. I'm not trying to. I want the people that are in our organization too to have the same work-life balance that I myself try to enjoy.
0: Yeah,
1: and I guess I, you know, I've always believed that, but I certainly learned that. I I used to work for um, the CEO of Central Maine Power, um, Sarah, and you know, she'd go to Europe. With, uh, I I can put our plans out there, but she'd travel, and we wouldn't hear from her. Right? She'd be gone for the week or two, and she really told us, you know, this is an opportunity to to develop people. Right? You leave leave your phone or don't get on emails. I don't want to hear from you. Leave the people behind in charge, and make sure you go ahead and enjoy your time with your family. And so. You know, I, I try to make sure iron park that wisdom and use it myself. Um, and, and I thought, well, you know, here's a CEO of a company that when she's gone, she's gone. Right? She wasn't Right? getting up early and doing emails and then going out and doing whatever. She was gone, you know, for that time being. So um, it can be done. And, and so I, I totally look to, to make sure that I have that balance. And and as you said, Paul, look these kids grow up fast, right? Yeah. Um, When when that day I called you 16 years ago, um, and now she's driving, right? Or or learning how to drive. And uh, it just happens too quickly. So we need to make, at least I try to make sure that I have as much time as I can.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting when you shared with um, the, the president of Central Maine Power Um, because there it says a lot about her leadership and the amount of trust that she has in her team when she kind of checks out and sometimes a team struggles with their leader kind of checking out Um, you know my approach I'm not good at checking out but I'm very good at this actually isn't my decision And, and people on my team will tell me tell you that they may send me something and I'll say this is not my decision what do you think we should do you tell me as opposed to ask me, um, because I want them to feel empowered. How did it feel for you to have a leader um, who kind of treated you guys that way? That was like, you know, the world's not going to come to an end and I'm gone. And I know you guys got this.
1: Yeah. No, it's great. It's, it's absolutely empowering. And, and I, I think, you know, that's part of the reason when a lot of, once I learned that article, you know, who's got the monkey, it's one of the first things I give to people. I love sharing that article with people because it is all about letting them recognize or helping them to recognize that, yeah, they can teach people to do things that they themselves cannot do. They are empowered to make decisions and I trust that they will make the right decisions. Um, you know, and I, I remember, um, and I'm trying to think of the, uh, oh, so the word was inspirational. And, you know, inspirational kind of takes on different connotations, but in this sense, it was all about, you know, what would you do if I was on here? Or what would you be inspired to do if I wasn't around? And, and so really trying to set, again, that that um, that culture where people are inspired to act uh, and recognize early on that, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make all those decisions because if if I'm making them, then I don't necessarily need you around them, right? If you're not, them, right? Yeah. And so um, I, I, I definitely try to make sure we have a culture like that and people have the confidence and know that, you know, I'll support them uh, in terms of making those types of decisions when they make them. But, yeah, Sarah, she was great. She was great and just reinforced that, particularly, again, coming from her level at that point, the CEO can do it. And, Every level below that should be.
0: Sure. I think my last question for you, Frank, is going to be, what inspires you? So
1: I, I, um, you know, April is great. Uh, You know, they have a lot of great professional development programs. um, And I got to do some great international travel early on and do some of these programs. And so, I remember I was in Switzerland doing this professional development program back in like 2010, 11 or 12 timeframe. And we had coaches as part of the program. And I remember talking to my coach and he said, I said, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I have friends that are really passionate about football and basketball and some sport and other things, music, whatever. And I like all those things, right? I like a good game, uh, but I don't follow a team from day one to the end of the season. Uh, and so, you know, I felt really bad that I didn't have a passion, if you will, around stuff like that. But what we did through conversation recognized that my passion was about what we call the unleashing of potential. Mm. My passion is about unleashing potential. And I feel like a magnet of sorts when I go into an organization of just unpacking that potential that's there, right? Letting people know, well, don't hold back on that idea. Don't hold back on making that decision. Let me show you, uh, you know, the, the confines, comp- comp- but the parameters, if you will, that you might need to make that decision or unpack that potential, uh, come up with that idea, whatever it is, teach you how to do something, give you that skill set. Um, so it's it, that's what inspires me, is really helping people succeed. And at the end of the day, Paul, right, in our business, what is that doing? It's helping our business, it's helping our customers, right? The people that we're out here serving is an essential service. It's helping our customers if, if our employees are doing the very best that they can do, coming up with the very best ideas that they can do. Um, it's benefiting our industry. And so, Yeah, I'm all about trying to unpack that potential wherever it is that I go.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Always Bet on Black. Next week, we have Shannon Pierce, Vice President of Growth and Chief External Affairs Officer for South Star Energy Services. And remember, for all things Abe, you can check us out on our website, www.aabe.org and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter.